Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov careers to learn more and apply. Happy Tuesday. It is GC Live. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark coming at you live. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on all the other major podcast platforms right after the show. We post it every single day. Thanks for joining us. And uh, go ahead and get in line. I see Miss Lynn is already in. Get in line. Send us your questions as we roll on with day two of the week. Also, a Tuesday, which means players speak means Will Muschamp talks, and uh, Gamecock Russ is in the building per usual, and uh, hopefully we'll be joined by a lot of our normal listeners and watchers here recording a little bit ahead of our normal time, uh, frankly, so that I can go watch the Braves later on. But uh, also, I think we've got a good show lined up for you here today. We'll be talking Will Muschamp. we got former Gamecock Preston Thorne. Um, Preston, all-around good dude, uh, will provide some insight on the team right now, his thoughts on the first two games, and we'll be talking about, obviously, I want to talk to him about defensive line play just because that's you know what he does. So, Chris, um, obviously, Tuesday is always a busy day, so what's up, man? Uh, Matt, just a lot, you know, just uh, finished, as you were outlining there, listening to players, listening to what Will Muschamp had to say. It's really interested to hear you know, some of the questions, some of the responses. And so um, that's pretty much it. Just uh, working on content all this week for Gamecock Central. Excited about, you know, continuing coverage and uh, seeing what happens leading into this week. And uh, appreciate everybody being on the show. And it's good to be on the show again here. Yeah, so I would say first takeaway from the press conference, even though we were told we were not going to get injury updates anymore, we do pretty much get, um, I would say, what what we wanted as, as far as injury updates. Uh, we got something new on Jamar, you know, excuse me, Jamar Brown. We got something new on Izzy McQuamu and uh, Xavier Leggett. I I had assumed watch rewatching that game, you know, and, and I, I noticed it. I guess at some point live in the second half, I was like, man, Rico Powers has been playing a ton because that's one thing I do pay attention to a lot is the personnel that's on the field when I'm watching. And I was like, man, Powers has been out there a ton. And I didn't know, you know, was there a reason for that? There was now looking back, there was a moment where you briefly saw the training staff talking to Xavier Leggett right after he came off the field. So we learned today that was just like uh, a very minor uh, groin injury, a tweak, something like that. He's been back at practice. So he's back in the fold. Um, won't miss any time there. Izzy McQuamu, we find out today, was mainly playing safety 
um, because of, of the injury, which is a way I, I would say to sort of um, hide that uh, Muschamp talks specifically about when Florida's trying to stretch the field and, and do some vertical things, not having him have to sort of open up and, and run it at full speed there. He'll be back available to play cornerback this week. Although I still, Chris, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. I, I think you sort of, I, I like what Johnny Dixon showed us, but uh, the big one, Jamar Brown ran around a little bit today, which we've learned. You don't, we don't confuse that around here with meaning he actually <clears throat> practiced, um, but running around testing it generally is what that means. Uh, testing out the knee. Uh, they hope to possibly get Jamar Brown back soon, which I think, man, you start looking for um, sort of the best 11, the best combination on the field. Once he's back healthy, I, I'm not so sure, especially with Sherrod Green being out, I'm not so sure, you know, that, that we don't see that configuration a lot, you know, with, with Jamar Brown out there on the field. So getting him back, now, this week they're playing a little bit more of a pro-style look, but against most teams offensively, I think Jamar Brown could be somebody key to get back, especially with the injury to 44 Shrey Green. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the depth at linebacker is not what you would like at this point. You know, Ernest Jones, fortunately, went down for that play in the in the Florida game, and you're sort of wondering, oh, boy. Uh, but I think he only came off the field for that one play. Florida scored on that next play. Um, down near the red zone, but you know, with with you know Ernest Jones and Damani Saley and Sherrod Green's absence, they're sort of manning that position. But behind those guys, haven't had as much depth, and then you're missing, you know, like you said, Jamar Brown. So he's certainly going to give them more flexibility um, to play to match up. Muschamp talked specifically about that today in terms of just what makes him effective. And you know, Jamar was a guy that was recruited out of South Florida at St. Thomas Aquinas as someone who you know, originally was a linebacker, you know, thought of as a Will linebacker, a Sam linebacker, um, and is certainly physical enough to do that. But one of the things out of high school that people liked about him so much is that he could cover, you know, he could run four, six, he could cover. And so he is that sort of hybrid player. He can give you a box presence. You're not just putting out a guy there just for coverage. He can be physical. He can play in the box, but he can also go cover somebody in that dime package. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much of that South Carolina plays how much other teams maybe try to force this issue? Do other teams feel like they want South Carolina to be a little bit more in a regular package or even just in a nickel package as opposed to dime? Do they try to create some matchups there with their personnel? So interesting subplots as South Carolina gets ready to play Vandy and really just the rest of the schedule. But um, fortunately for them, you know, they've had some injuries here and there, but so far um, they've stayed relatively healthy, nothing major. I mean, obviously, Marshawn Lloyd was a, was a huge one that's still, you know, having an effect on this team. But one thing that we knew is they didn't need to get into the season and having guys start to drop. And so they've stayed relatively healthy. They've had some guys banged up here and there. But getting Jamar back would definitely be, you know, they've been without him the first two weeks, and that's probably had an effect on things. That's a guy that they, you know, feel like could play and feel like could help them. Yeah, and, you know, man, I, I think you look a lot of times, even though you call that the dime spot, um, that, that guy's up near the line of scrimmage a lot of times anyway. So, you know, I, I think really if, if that's your best personnel, um, if you feel like those are your best guys, um, 
sometimes you're almost just sort of talking about semantics, I, I think, depending on the guy. So I, I, I think certainly when you're playing with some more pro-style teams, um, you're going to want Brad Johnson on the field. You're going to want that Sam on the field. But if you were going to be in a nickel look anyway, you know, against like a team playing three wides or even four wides, I, I think we see Jamar Brown um, probably play a lot. And now, now and that will obviously – be dependent upon how he plays, how it sort of actually plays out. But I I think when you're looking for answers in this secondary, uh, which obviously I believe is a big discussion point right now, Muschamp mentioned, uh, you know, the single biggest issue right now for this team defensively is the explosive plays allowed. And it's really not explosive plays in the running game, which I think the running game was a little bit of a – Cern coming in run defense was they gave up some runs against Tennessee if we'll uh, you know sort of look back but for the most part and Florida's not a great running team anyway but for the most part um you know I think it comes in in the passing game and giving up too many explosives there the maybe scary part about that is that I think it's been for different reasons at, at different times um sometimes it may just be a coverage bust down the seam where, um, you know, I'm thinking of a very particular play against Florida where either – and I'm, I'm not sure exactly who's, whose guy it was. It was a zone coverage, and the receiver doesn't get carried down the field uh, with any depth. Wide open explosive play for a first down. Other times it's one-on-one down the field or even sometimes a man coverage guy with a safety coming over top, you still don't make a play on the ball. Um other times it's a jump ball situation where guys don't know whether to go for the ball or go for the hit. Um, obviously, we all saw the the missed tackles on the big Tony play. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just been a lot of things with the secondary, Chris, and it's a secondary that really, frankly, has a lot of talent in it. So I, I think if coming into the year, that's not really – the area I would have circled as being a huge concern, especially, you know, especially when you consider what we've heard coming out about, you know, RJ Roderick sort of taking it to another level in practice with his consistency. So I think for me, much, you know, echoing what Muschamp said, that, that's probably your biggest concern defensively moving forward. I, I haven't been as down on the, ta- on the tackling as maybe some fans have been. Well, the tackling is something that, Look, I, people are getting frustrated with Will Muschamp saying that missed tackles are part of football, and I understand that after the game, because, and I understand that when they're zero and two, and I understand that when you know the, the the play that's etched in everyone's minds is that fifty-seven yard Kadarius Tony touchdown where he, he makes a move in man coverage, he drags across, he catches an easy pass, and then he runs fifty-seven yards and he's got about four players just trying to thud tackle him, and that's just not going to work. So, you know, that's what's etched in people's minds. But the reality is that we would have to do a lot of research to figure this out. I would make a good wager that there is no team that goes through any game in college football in which they miss zero tackles. Obviously, that should be your goal. Obviously, you want to minimize them. But it's not a realistic thing to say that you're not going to have missed tackles in college football, particularly when you're playing against good teams. You play Florida, you're going to have some missed tackles. doesn't mean you should like it, accept it, anything like that. But it is going to happen. Now, what you can't have is what you saw with Kadarius Tony. right? That's completely unacceptable. You got a chance to get him down. 
he makes a move on you, but that should be a first down, not a touchdown, right? But it is, like you said, I mean, explosive plays um, that, that Florida created. You look at, you know, the first drive, they have a second and eight, they have a 17-yard pass. Then first and five, you got a 20-yard pass. Um, I think of a drive later, they ended up only getting, uh, I think, a field goal on it, but they had a third and 14 at the Florida 45. We, right there, you're thinking punt situation. Well, Tony, again, I think it was a little out, 16 yards, and nobody's really around him. You know, I think of the play, the Trent Whittemore play, where he goes up for the football, it sort of goes over Izzy McQuamo's hands. You know, that's a play that should be knocked down at a minimum, and it ends up being, you know, a big first down play, big potentially momentum swinging play. So go back to the Tennessee game. You know, they had, they had the, the long explosive touchdown throw in man coverage. They had the play that was just a great individual play by Brandon Johnson bringing in a, a one-handed ball, a couple explosive runs. So those are the things that look as a huge question. Can they clean those things up? I don't think you look at it and say there's no options. There's no changes the staff can make. There's no way the secondary can play better. It is what it is. I do think you look at it and you can say they can play better. They could make some tweaks here and there. Whether or not that happens, that's a big question. And that's going to be a key, I think, to showing improvement and some more consistency on that side of the ball. By the way, I had this – I had taken this picture from the game – uh, for my little tell the tape I did this week. And, and that sort of gives you that, – that's South Carolina's dime package as they ran it against Florida, which they were in this 20-plus plays. Um, probably the most I've, I've seen them in it that I could recognize, um, which which you see there. Basically, R.J. Roderick slides down into that dime position uh, right now, and that's where Jamar Brown would probably be if he's back healthy and, you know, 100%. But as you can see – if you were just looking at this and you didn't really know Carolina's personnel, uh, structurally, you know, Roderick looks like a nickel – or excuse me, like a Will linebacker here. Yep. So, <clears throat> you know, th- you're only – from a personnel standpoint, it's putting another DB on the field. So if Jamar Brown is someone who's obviously got a linebacker background as well, has played the Will and the Sam in this scheme – some of it is more semantics than anything, but I, I think just as much champ said, give South Carolina a great deal of flexibility in what they can do in coverage and disguising coverages and doing some different things um, that, that maybe can help out some of your issues there. So we'll, we'll see moving forward, you know, is Jamar hundred percent. Does that mean he plays this week? Does that mean it's more, he plays, I, I almost would circle the Auburn game. Chris, just from a matchup standpoint, we all know Auburn is going to spread you out. <clears throat> They're going to be a, you know, a spread. Sometimes no huddle, sometimes fast-paced team. You maybe don't get to sub as much against them. So having a versatile guy like Jamar Brown back on the field could actually be much bigger against a more pro-style, you know, against Auburn than it would be against a more pro-style type team, which is what South Carolina is going to face this week against um, Vanderbilt. So, um, Chris, uh, obviously, this daily show is brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. It's home of the game day chair. So um, why don't we go ahead and uh, tell everybody about the game day chair and uh, why they should get a game day chair to watch the game on Saturday because apparently ain't nobody going in the game at Vanderbilt. Um, 
the funny thing is when they panned to the crowd against Vandy this past week against LSU, I was like, man, that looks pretty normal for Vandy. But, no, nah, seriously, it is weird. It is weird seeing Vandy, seeing a stadium just almost completely empty. So um, yeah. if you're ever going to get the game day chair, it'd be this week, I think. I think it's a great time to get it, um, you know, and for the rest of the season, uh, rest of the NFL season, whatever you want to watch in the game day chair, it can work for you. If you're on YouTube, which I hope you are, in the top left-hand corner, you see a little picture there, the game day chair. It's roomy. It is extremely comfortable. Here's how you can find out more information. Go to affordablemedicalusa.com. They got a little search bar. Type in the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. What is Twilight? That is the zero gravity position. Comes with a little, looks like a little remote. Puts you in a variety of positions. Power pillow, lumbar support. You'll probably fall asleep in the thing if you're watching a movie or something. Uh, but it's a super comfortable uh, chair. Really, really comfortable. Really awesome chair. We appreciate their support on the show. So you should definitely check it out. You can also call 803-926-1493 and ask our friend Chris there about the game day chair. He's opening up a new shop soon, relocating brand new shop. So looking forward to being up there at some point soon. And we'll give you guys an in-person look, I think, at the game day chair. <clears throat> Let's hit a couple of these comments, man. I um, there's, there's some things I agree with and some things I don't. Um, Mac and Dino, I, I see I see what you mean about playing Rico Powers more. Um, but I also, I mean, Xavier Leggett, which which those guys play the same actual receiver spot, right? Like the same spot within the receiving room. Um, so they're sort of direct replacements for each other. I mean, Leggett's a true sophomore. So I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves <clears> – <throat> you know, and just giving up on a kid when Leggett, frankly, is going to very much be needed for this, not just this team this year, but this program the next couple of years. I mean, let's go back to Joe Cox and what he said about Leggett um, prior to the season, during preseason. Basically said, not you know, not only are we hoping – that this guy can be one of the next great South Carolina receivers, but we need him to be. And the the upside is there, man. I mean, you look he he looks outstanding on that dig route to start the game. Colin hits him on a, a beautiful throw on the dig. He catches it in stride, gets upfield, runs through an arm tackle, and, and South Carolina it's one of the big passing plays early on in that game. Then I, I think Obviously, there are some consistency things there that he needs. He's going to have to clean up. But let's go back to just last week. A big play from Leggett against Tennessee actually helped spark South Carolina and get them back in this game. Um, at the point, Leggett actually has, I believe, the only downfield big play reception that South Carolina has had all year mm-hmm. um, as far as – the ball actually like being in the air downfield. You know, Shy's had some big plays where he's taken a short play and turned it into a long play. But an actual downfield throw that's resulted in a reception, Leggett's the only guy that has one of those, and that's what helped spread that Tennessee defense back a little bit, you know? So I don't think you can give up on these guys. I think you have to you have to keep throwing them the football and um hope that the consistency can get there. 
in time. Um, <clears throat> I see a Facebook comment I want to get in on. I'm guessing the, the difference between the people that watch this show on YouTube and the ones on Facebook is that the those of you on YouTube generally stick around and hang out and you give your comments and you stand by your comments. Facebook is much more hit and run. Um, and the analytics show that, um, if your Facebook crowd is in and out YouTube crowd, you're generally here to, to watch at least a few segments of the show. So I don't know if Jonathan Weir is still around, but here's one thing I've never gotten. And I'll, I'll pop the question up, uh, Glad none of the real questions were asked. It's pointless to watch a Q&A like that. And I see this said a lot by the fan base. And genuine question here is what – I mean, what exactly else is Will Muschamp supposed to be asked at this point? Like, you're, you're not going to sit there and – you want the media to just be like, do you feel like you should be fired? I mean, that that's not going to happen. So a lot he was he was asked he's been asked Saturday after the game, I think twice. He's been asked Sunday, I think twice, and then he was asked today twice about the late game, you know, not just play calling, but the late game pace of play. And I thought he actually he did provide a little bit better answer, I thought, today than right after the game and on Sunday. But but Jonathan, if if you're still there and if anyone else is sort of feels the same way, I genuinely would like to know what else because I, I see that a lot. Well, media guys giving them a bunch of softball questions. Well, what what else is supposed to be asked? There's only so many answers you're gonna get in a press conference setting anyway. And Chris, at the end of the day, this is about playing better. Like what and I and I don't know what else Will Muschamp is supposed to say either. Because we I see this idea of, well, he says the same things. Well, what else is he supposed to say? Like yeah. that that's the part I don't understand. It is something that comes up a lot. It, it's come up in the past. It comes up in other sports. You know, if South Carolina goes through a, a bad spell with Frank Martin, I remember back in the Chad Holbrook days, I think it's something that – and I'm not, like, necessarily – I'm not faulting anybody for, for wanting this, but people, I think, naturally gravitate towards, you know, wanting, um, I guess, a perceived, like, tough question. For those of you on the podcast, I'm doing the air quote thing. Tough question – and I guess some of it is, do you feel like you should be fired or are you worried about your job or, yeah, I'm not sure. And, that, and that's why good, good question that you posed, Wes, like what are the questions that people um, won't ask? Like you said, I, th- I think the one that's been on people's minds the most, just based on us gauging, com- you know, comments from our show, comments on Gamecock Central, the topics of discussion on forums, on social media, the main one from Saturday, aside from just losing and being 0-2, was the situation with caught management. And like you said, he's been asked a ton about it. He's been asked the same way. He's been asked different ways. Today, he was asked about it, and then he was asked again in a more broad sense, have you have you changed your overall philosophy on clock management? And, you know, he answered that question. So I think it maybe it's an opportunity for 
I don't know, like as media, like the job is not necessarily to say something like to punish a coach, like in a setting, it's to ask questions, to get answers. And, um, you know, we try to provide those answers, answers, whether it's in a press conference setting or with what we hear, what we pick up, what we report. So if anybody has, you know, additional questions that they feel like need to be answered, like drop them and we'll try, you know, to, to get answers to them. But I think part of it is there's a part of the fan base and this is their complete right. I'm not saying there's, you know, can't do that. That's just sort of out for blood type of thing. You know what I mean? Like we saw that yesterday, Wes, like for most of the show, sometimes the analysis and the how has it gotten here or where could it go sort of goes out the window just in favor of, you know, I don't know, just blow it all up type of thing, you know? And, and I think that's part of what some people want in the press conferences. They want them to be, I don't know, more contentious or whatever it is. So. Yep. Um, and, and even, all right. So perfect example here. Someone said, why is Doty not playing when he says he is, when he says he will, I guess is what you meant. Um, is one question that, that question was not asked today, but that question was asked, um, last week and then asked I believe on Sunday as well so that you know that that has been asked you're not going to re-ask and expect a different answer so I don't know it, it is what it is but I, I see that I see that said a lot um and okay here's one for example the question and I'm reading this live I don't even know what it says the question y'all reporters don't ask is why after two games, two weeks of practice, a month or better preseason practice, is the team no more prepared to play football than they are? What what does that – I mean, that's a – first of all, it's a very general question. Two, what is he supposed to say to that? Because the answer is that they've played two of the – two top 25 teams and they've made too many mistakes to win the game. But – a question like that is is exactly what Chris is talking about. It's a question designed to try and punish or throw shade at the guy you're asking the question to, but it's not a legitimate question that you're looking for an answer from. You can you can say that it's completely fair to say you don't think the team looks prepared. But what what answer are you going to what answer are you going to be happy with to that question? Right, because then it's going to become what Muschamp would do, and we know this just from covering Muschamp and from covering college football and recruiting for a long time, is in 99% of the cases, Will Muschamp is going to begin breaking down on a more micro level the things that have led to South Carolina being 0-2. He went into those things. Which he has. Which he has today. And, you know, whether or not people think it should – like if you're wanting the answers to why he believes they played that way – doesn't mean you have to be happy with it, but if you're searching an answer for an answer, he's broken down those things and he did it today. Explosive plays, too many on defense, um, some tackling miscues, particularly on the 57 yarder, um, offensively, some drops that he's mentioned. You know, uh, he mentioned in the Tennessee game, for example, they got tempoed in the run game. People, you know, that was a question people had after the Tennessee game. Why'd they give up some big plays in the run game? He went into that. That doesn't mean you have to agree with it or think it was really good because it wasn't, but like he answered. So a lot of times these broad questions that people have, you know, more specific questions are getting asked and, and answered, you know, and, and a lot of times people don't like those answers. And 
I saw another comment that was perfectly reasonable comment that people are tired of hearing the same things. And I think just inserting my personal opinion, people are just more tired of the result. Like from we talked about this yesterday from the end of 2018, 19, and then now into 0 and 2 through two games of this season. But when the team is losing, the questions in the press conference are going to revolve around why did you lose? And they're not just going to be general, they're going to be more specific. And Will Muschamp is going to do his job of trying to answer those questions. And so I know people are tired of hearing it, but the questions have to be asked, you know? So if you want the questions asked, they're going to be answered too. I think people are just more tired of losing. When you go into a press conference after a win or a winning streak, the questions are, why are you winning? What's going well? And people want to hear about that more because it's more fun to talk about that for all the fan base. Yep, we'll uh, be joined shortly by Preston Thorne, uh, former Gamecock defensive lineman, and a guy. And yeah, so somebody said they didn't like the no injury update thing. And Muschamp did. He did provide. Um, he didn't, you know, go through an official injury report um, today like he had, or like he normally does. But he did provide updates today on Jamar Brown. Um, they really get sort of, I, I felt like that was him sort of throwing a bone, um, you know, and actually providing an update, even though he said he wouldn't, but, but yeah. And again, guys, I mean, and girls, I completely get the frustration. Like I, we get it. Yep. Uh, absolutely. 100%, um, understand the frustration and not even saying anybody is wrong to be frustrated. It's just a matter of, some of the some of the stuff that gets thrown out there is um I think more like Chris is saying a matter of the frustration as opposed to you actually legitimately wanting that particular question answered or I mean and people get mad at us um which which is fine as well um it's all good so anyway we're trying to trying to get Preston in so one thing shortly. I wanted to say too here man is um there's a comment about hard to accept much champs rationale when the problems he points out have been problems for some time now. That's one we totally get. We've talked about that one a lot. For instance, safety play. It's been an issue almost every year, right? Like you think of 2017 was probably the best year for that, but it's been an issue. I feel like some people, and the people can correct me if I'm wrong, some people want Muschamp to be asked about safety play, and instead of saying we got to get better or we got to continue to recruit better, or we need to develop them better, or whatever. They literally want him to come out and say, "I've done an awful job recruiting safeties, and I should be fired." Like, and that's not—that's the only thing they're going to accept. And guys, that's not going to happen. You, you're just—you're not going to see that. So, uh, anyway, just a general point there. All right, joined now, as you can see, by our friend uh, Preston Thorne. Um, where are you? Uh, where are you joining us from today, Preston? I guess I'm, I'm broadcasting live from my Zoom room. Okay. Little little garnet in black. Uh, what's this pattern? Chevron or something like that. So that's right. <laughs> so okay. so we're, like we're, we're we're coming from home, coming from the home home base right now. I dig it, man. It's it's a good look. Um, Preston, of course, former Gamecock, uh, has been here on the show before, on the live before, and uh, wanted him get him on to talk a little ball with us today. And uh, so, Preston, let let's start first two games just more. General thoughts, obviously, as um, as we've been seeing in our comment section here, 
people, you know, they're upset, they're frustrated, rightfully so. Nobody wants to be zero and two. But um, what, what just have your been your general sort of overarching thoughts on these first two games of the season, man? Uh, so to kind of comment on what you just said, obviously we wouldn't be here watching Gamecock if we didn't care. So it's a good thing to have a fan base of folks that are, you know, that have expectations. And nobody wants to be 0-2. 0-2 is a tough place to start um, as a team, as a player, as a coach. It's, you know, it's, it's because, you know, just winning around the facility makes everything feel a little bit better. And even, you know, even as now being a fan, it makes everything feel a little bit better. But overall, um, I think the overarching, the overarching theme is, for one, I do think, you know, our offense looks a lot more capable. And it looks mm-hmm. like – you can sort of see things being put together and it looks like there's, there's a, uh, a pattern and a rhyme and a reason for the things that we're doing on offense. So that's very, that's very encouraging to see. Um, and so that, that's always a positive thing to see. And, you know, the fact of the matter is we played two very good teams, you know, we played Florida and I think Florida is kind of acceptable from a lot of people's perspectives. I'm sure I'm echoing a lot of people that we probably felt maybe, last year or two years ago that we were about to make a jump and permanently, you know, go over Tennessee and Florida and sort of make a jump into the top tier of the SEC. And now it doesn't quite feel like that. It feels like somehow or another we were ahead of Florida and then we blinked our eyes and now they're, you know, they're number three in the country. And so I think that's a lot of the things, at least for me, I, can, I guess, you know, that's a lot of the things that's sort of frustrating because, you know, it felt like we were really close to making that big jump maybe only a year or so ago. Yeah, Preston, I think there's sort of a sense or a hope, you know, when you hire a new coach that the progress is going to be this like sort of – because I, I see – and I, I get it. I see people say year five. Um, you know, you see that thrown around a lot. And, and that, you know, year five, that means th- this is your group, right? You've recruited them. You've gone out. You've recruited them and developed them. I, I do think some of what, what is hurting this team right now is that – this is probably a year where South Carolina, maybe more than other years, would have really benefited to, from getting a couple of tune-up games. You are replacing some really good talent from last year because college football is so um, not cyclical, but you're you're having every year you're going to have to have roster turnover more so than maybe say the NFL, where there's going to be some turnover, but you can make moves to keep your core intact. Whereas your South Carolina, you can look at it from a big picture standpoint and say five, year five, why is it not better? And you'd be completely, you know, I understand that a hundred percent, but then there's also a sense of you're replacing, you know, a Brian Edwards at receiver, which we see is, is a huge loss at this point, replacing a Javon Kinlaw on the other side. And there's sort of, if you're South Carolina, and then you're thrown right into the SEC, and you're trying to sort of get this new offense going. You're trying to replace guys. It's almost hard to breathe, man. Like you, you just you don't really have a chance to sort of get your feet under you if you are these young guys, you know. The SEC is tough in any year. You know, the SEC is going to be a hard. It's a hard road to hold every single year, and it's just that's always what it's going to end up being. And now for us as as fans. You know, it's really it's really cool to have this concentrated schedule where every week's a big week. But as a player, 
it's really, really, really tough. You know, there's 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 no there's no letdown, there's no time, and like you said, there's no space to no space to sort of breathe. And so that does make this a challenge. But at the same time, like you said, listen, everybody, you know, everybody's playing the same schedule. So as long as everybody's on the same footing, then you, you know, you you kind of have you can't use that as and I don't even say an excuse, but it's not even you know, it's kind of out the window because if everybody else is doing it, then you have to be measured by the same way that everybody else is being measured. Preston, want to move over to the, the defensive line for South Carolina um, and just get some of your impressions on how that group's played. Some big plays, surrendered a few big plays. You know, you think of some of the plays against Tennessee, Florida, just 80 rushing yards. They obviously have more emphasis on the passing game, but what have been your thoughts on that group as a whole in terms of how they played both in the run and pass game so far. Yeah, so to build on what, what Wes just said, I mean, we just saw uh, DJ Wanham get a sack on Sunday. We watched Javon uh, last night, you know, ball playing really well, 49ers on Sunday night, I guess the game of the week. And so I say all that to say that we lost some really, really talented guys up front. And not only just talented guys, very much, you know, team leader type, type of dudes where you have Javon who's – leading more through his spirit and his action and DJ from everything that I know about him. He's a really calm, reserved, kind of a, you know, a heady type of guy. And so you lose these two dudes. Um, I say that to say that coming into the year, we needed to figure out who was going to be our guys. We have a lot of them, but I don't think we've established who the actual guys were that we are going to need to make a play. So, you know, it's always good to have a rotation. You need to have a bunch of guys that can play. But when it comes down to that last drive in the fourth quarter, or, you know, there's a big time that needs to stop. Who are going to be the four guys that are playing? And we haven't quite seen that yet. I think we see some guys that are itching. I know we've seen uh, the freshman, Birch. We've seen him make some flash plays that I think everybody feels that with some more playing time, he's going to do He's gonna do really well. Um, we saw, you know, uh, Zach Pickens, he's starting to play really well inside, and he's kind of being that. That space eater, that's uh, you know being able to take on a lot of blocks and everything like that, and uh, we're seeing Tonka do well. So we're seeing these guys do some things. It's just again, like you said, it's going to take time. And the SEC, there's really no space for it. So D line wise, we just need to see who's going to be the guys that step up and become our final four. Because again, it's it's, it's great to have a rotation. It's good to have some guys that spill. But when it comes down to uh, you know, excuse the language that the coach used to say when it comes down to nut cutting time, you know, you're going to need to know, you're going to need to know who the guys that are in there that are going to have to make the plays. And I don't think we have that right now, but we're working towards it. I think, um, Preston, we all, especially, you know, media fans, whoever, you know, we, we get excited about seeing the upside, uh, you know, potential, one of the most dangerous words in football, you know, um, Talk. We see. I mean, you see Birch, you see Tonka, you see Zach Pickens, and I think you know. You say, man, those guys might look a little bit different, like athletically, physically. They look like true, possibly upper echelon SEC defensive line athletes. Um, and it's easy for us to be like, just throw them in there, throw them in there, put them in, you know. And and maybe eventually that you know that's the recipe. But how big of a jump is it? mentally as far as everything you're going to be asked to do playing on the defensive line at the SEC level versus high school where, first of all, you're the baddest dude on the field. And, you know, it's more, hey, just 
smash the guy in front of you and go, you know, go get the football versus having to play within structure, you know, of the defense, having to know everything you're being asked to do. How how taxing mentally is it and how different is it maybe high school ball versus freshman or sophomore just, uh, you know, sort of going back to, to your time making that jump? Yeah, as a general rule, you know, the, the closer you get to the ball, the harder it is to come in and play automatically, you know. So, you know, you have your skill guys that they can kind of come in and fill in automatically. But when you start getting into those guards and tackles and centers and nose guards and all those stuff, middle linebackers, anybody that's really in the mix, it's a really, really big adjustment because the game is so much faster um, inside. Mm-hmm. And not to mention that the guys are, you know, bigger, strong, bigger and stronger. Whereas in high school, you know, you, you didn't have to rely on any technique. You were just faster and bigger than everybody else. But now, you know, everybody's fairly equal as far as those things go. So with that being the equalizer, it's really, really tough to make those adjustments. So, you know, if we think about that, you know, we think about, uh, you know, JD's freshman year, he didn't start. You know, he would come in and spell and, and he would get, you know, he would he wasn't a, a 60 snap a game type of player. And when he played, he made flashes. But there's also some other reasons as to why he may have not been playing. And I don't know what was, you know, what's currently going on. But for a lot of freshmen, you know, it might be assignments. Um, it might be just stamina issue, just being able to hold up for that long. Um, because, again, you know, you're, you're 18 or 19 coming out of high school. And you're playing against some dudes that are 22, 23. He's like men. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not young boys that you're playing against. And I think that's the biggest difference. But again, at the same time, what you'll probably see as the season goes on, these guys will start getting more snaps and they'll start started in themselves and still kind of start separating themselves. I think uh, Preston made, made a great point there that the sort of upside with these two young guys has just been crazy apparent and off the charts. And the production through two games, through limited snaps, I mean, you have – let's go to Tonka having the forced fumble. And um, then, you know, of course, that that's a game-changing play at this time. They're not really getting a ton of snaps, but they're able to take advantage of those snaps, which I think will lead to more snaps. Yeah, it's all about what you can do with that opportunity, you know, and – Look, we knew that Jordan Birch was going to have a really good chance to play going into the season. But, you know, going back to something Javaris Robinson said pretty close to the first game in one of his media settings was that, you know, with Jordan, you're you're talking about him playing buck, which is an interesting position because it's a hybrid position. It's not always just go out there, put your hand down, rush the passer. You know, they did narrow down a little bit of what he was going to do in year one in the first couple of games. They can keep giving him more. He'll keep progressing. He'll keep getting better. Good news is his physical tools are off the charts, you know. And so we and we've seen flashes of that the first couple of weeks. And they are going to put him into some situations where he can just go rush the passer. But you know what? The 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 two plays that he's made the first two weeks weren't even just go get the quarterback. You know, it it was one play on a on a screen like Preston was talking about in the Florida game. And then you had another play against Tennessee where it was a handoff and he's knifing into the backfield, making a play. So it's not just pass rush. That's really encouraging. You know, Zach has has continued to progress. He's always looked the part, but he's certainly gotten better. Last year he had to adjust to playing inside, um, but the physical tools again are there. 
And then you look at Tonka Hemingway, he was someone that we heard a lot about in preseason that had almost, I think, surprised in how much progress he had made, even though we knew he had a chance to be a good player too. Didn't carry the accolades of Birch or Pickens, who were five-star guys, um, but has certainly done a nice job um, in his limited snaps as well. So pretty bright future, I think, for for that trio um, from the 19 class and Pickens and two from the 2020 class. All right, I think we got Preston back now. Sorry, y'all, just bear with us. We're sort of using new technology here, um, and it's live, so we never know what's going to happen. But, Preston, I was asking you about sort of ball watching versus the line play watching, and I was wondering, when you've been watching Carolina on offense, um, if you still watch the line a lot there, I was wondering what your thoughts have been on sort of this new Bobo running scheme because it seems like – we're doing, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more just uh, variety and versatility in what they're doing up front. Maybe compare. I think last year it was it was pin and pull. It was inside zone. Maybe a little bit of different stuff. But for for two games in, it seems like they've thrown a lot at the opponents as far as this run scheme so far. Like last year it was inside zone. Maybe pin and pull to the boundary. This year you're seeing a lot of different. You know, you're seeing a lot of different things. That's uh, some counters. You're seeing a, a little bit of that stuff out of the eye formation. And it's just uh, they're just giving them more options to make plays. So, yeah, it's, it's clear that you can see that they're they're really trying to expand the running game, which you're going to have to um, because, you know, we're actually running out of more formations and we're doing a lot of different things. So a lot of times when your team may not, be, may not have as many offensive weapons, you know, you can use a little bit of formation and play calling to kind of – give you something even up the plan for a little bit. I got you again. That's Preston Thorne. Good stuff as always, man. Sorry about the uh, technology issues there, um, but uh, hopefully you can join us again, man. And um, obviously uh, everybody follow Preston on Twitter. I know he does uh, the fade in podcast with uh, our friend Kimry as well at times. He's on 107.5. So um, go check him out. Uh, Coach PT tweets, I, I think is the, um, the Twitter handle, but Preston, we appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Something I wanted to get to as well, offensive line for South Carolina. I think we saw some positives from them from week one to week two, and I think we're seeing a a South Carolina run scheme that continues to evolve and um, really that's given South Carolina a chance because I, I think it's gotten uh, – it's been a good fit for Kevin Harris and we're seeing Harris. That's as confident as I've ever seen him run on, on Saturday. Deshaun Fenwick, he looks confident. I still think Zaquandre White can do some things as the year goes on. But when Muschamp talked last year about wanting some more diversity from the running scheme, I think this is sort of what he envisioned. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that they did a good job of trying to, see what Todd Grantham was going to do defensively last week. And, you know, they improved, look, second half against Tennessee. They did a better job, not only the passing game of pushing some things down the field, and they were able to score 20 points in the second half of that game, but they ran the ball more effectively with Harris and Fenwick. Um, We saw that really play out throughout the entire game in in the Florida game. Now, it's not like they absolutely lit it up, including, I think, sack yardage. They were at 3.3 yards a carry, which is actually the same as Florida. But South Carolina was a little bit more, you know, they made more of an effort to run the football. And when you're looking at just running back production, 
Harris and, and Fenwick did a really nice job. Harris, of course, had the 100-yard game. Really confident. Got the edge some. Wasn't just – I mean, he's a north-south runner, but he made some guys miss, whether it's making a guy miss in the open field, being able to run through contact. We knew that was going to be his forte, and he's certainly gotten better, you know, even since the limited playing time last season. There's no doubt he's gotten better, and that's huge for this team. You know, if they're going to continue being able to do some things successfully on offense – try to improve offensively. Certainly you look at the passing game as really needing to do that. But Mike Bobo's done, in my opinion, a really good job of scheming things up given the issues that South Carolina have. See, he walked into a situation. Mike Bobo's a new coach on staff. He's got a ton of experience, but he's new to this group. He inherited this group. And it's not ideal in terms of the pass catching right now as we knew going in and as we've seen play out the first couple weeks. I think the production he's been able to squeeze out with some of the schemes that he's implemented um, has really been a positive. Yeah, and I think, man, some of – granted, nobody's going to probably want to hear it, but some of what I think Muschamp was trying to explain is that at times some of the some of their slower pace is because of the fact that they have to do some different things to try and get guys open. Um you have to shift. You have to use motion. They did a great job of using motion to get shy a little bit more room to operate, I think. And if you look, it's it's kind of one of those things where if you have really good athletes, you can hustle to the line of scrimmage and, and run plays, and you're fine. But if you don't have those all across, you have to design ways to get the ball to 13 because he's their best passing weapon right now. At some point in that drive – and Muschamp admitted this, it becomes, all right, get, you know, get to the line and, and you got to hurry up, period. But certainly as that drive started, the first half of that drive, that's the biggest drive of the game to this point. You have to find a way to execute. You have to find a way to put yourself in a position to drive down the field. And the way to do that is to throw your best plays and your best looks out there. And at times that's going to take um, – you know, a little bit of time to change formations or to motion, pre-snap, different stuff like that. So um, I will say, Shai Smith, going through the PFF numbers, 33 targets through two games, unheard of. Um, that's that's second in all of the Power Five um, of, of players, period. That's first among wide receivers. There's a tight end that's been targeted, believe it or not, that's been targeted – one more time, but that's in three games as opposed to two. And uh, his uh, receptions are second in the Power Five to a kid at Pitt who has played in four games instead of two. So obviously, Shy has been a guy that they've they've had to try to find ways, and we knew that. But Chris, I don't even think we anticipated that it would be to this extent. Yeah, it was a question. His consistency. We knew that, look, everybody – and that's the thing that I think makes it impressive, right? From a scheme standpoint, game one, going into the Tennessee game, Jeremy Pruitt is a defensive coach. He's a good defensive coach. He's got a good staff there. They knew that Shai Smith was the only semi-established target that South Carolina would walk into that game with in terms of receiving. He was still able to put on a really good performance, and Colin Hill was able to get him the ball. So that's good on Mike Bobo, good on Shai Smith. Then you go to the Florida game, and 
you know, Tennessee had the benefit of maybe thinking about some things pregame, but it's harder in-game sometimes to adjust. You can't just throw your whole, you know, defensive scheme and, and plan for that particular game totally out the window. Oh, we're going to rip this up and completely change things. That's tough to do in-game. Florida had the benefit of seeing week one, and they were still able to get Smith open. They were able to get him some looks. So that, and Again, good job scheming him open, and then Colin Hill and Shai Smith have done a good job getting on the same page. And So that was a big question coming into this season. They've still got to figure out the rest of that group. That's a huge key. They've got to get more production there, but one huge question is could Shai Smith take his game to the next level and become the number one guy? And it seems he's accepted that challenge and he has done so, so far. I had a question on here, Chris, and then we'll uh, probably close it out here from uh, Luis Martinez. Uh, who is the next best receiver and why? <clears throat> That's a really good question. And I would say based – there's two answers right now. And I would say based on production and what has actually happened, um, you know, not to be mean or over the top, I don't know if you can answer that question based on the first two games. If you're, you know, if we're being completely honest, Chris, if you're asking me who's the best as in who can go do it, I still think you have to circle Xavier Leggett. And that that's the guy that's been circled all offseason by the coaching staff. Uh, frankly, that's the guy they've been hoping can step into that role. That's the guy they believe has the upside and the ability to step into that role. And, you know, I, I think when – dude, sports, there's so so much of sports is about confidence. And sometimes you drop a ball and then you keep thinking about that drop and you're thinking, I, I don't want to drop another one, right? I don't want to make another mistake. It's like, ah, oh, I made a mistake. I can't make another mistake. Well, you focus so much on trying not to make a mistake that your mind is on mistakes. Your mind is not thinking positively. So I think it's about getting some of these other guys some confidence, Leggett included. And to me, he, he's still the one that has to eventually step into that role. Now, if they could get some good news on Jalen Brooks at some point, then very quickly my answer you know, becomes Jalen Brooks. As the year goes on, can Rico Powers step into that role? Um, will some of these other guys get chances? I, I say yes, but for me right now, it's got to still be something where they have to hope Leggett can step into that spot. And he's shown some flashes, whether it's in practice settings or in games. You know, you mentioned the he's got the most impressive play, you know, is the one, you know, the post I think it was against Tennessee – He's had a couple others that he's been close on. And if we've talked often about the fact that South Carolina, aside from Shai Smith, he's a different type of receiver, much more of a space receiver. He's not a guy who's going to go out and win a bunch of 50-50 balls in the air like you could count on Brian Edwards doing, right? Brian Edwards could do a lot of different things. He could make guys miss. He could run through guys. He could win jump balls. He could give you a vertical presence. Shai Smith's more of a space player, which he's excelled at. But Xavier Leggett gives them the best opportunity to be sort of a bailout player. When you get in third and eight, can you go win a 50-50 ball? And he hasn't shown that consistently enough, but he has shown enough flashes to where there's a belief that he could do it. He's been close on a couple other plays and haven't. So the key is, can he turn those close plays into a big first down conversion or a big touchdown, an explosive play? 
that's what has to happen for him to emerge into that number two role. And it is still a question, but um, it's not like you look at him and say, he just can't do it. He doesn't have the talent. It's just about becoming more consistent and making the most of those opportunities. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, had a question about Ortre Smith. Um, he is one of the COVID opt-outs, but um, yeah, and Ortre, a guy that's had, has tremendous upside, uh, the knee injury, um, getting that cleaned up, I, I think slowed him down, slowed down his, his progress. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see if those guys can keep getting better. Uh, I think that's going to about do it for today's show, Chris. I uh, apologize to everybody that we did have some technology issues there. We we may look when we can in the future at pre-recording interviews that we can just because uh, I, I love this uh, platform we're on because it works really good to stream everything out to multiple different other platforms. But from what we've learned – having people on live can sometimes be hit or miss. So apologize if it was in and out on y'all's end. I know it was on our end for part of that interview as well. But uh, Chris, any closing thoughts? I, I know on what we got Thursday, we got Chris Lee from Vandy Sports. Yep. Chris Lee from VandySports.com will be on. He is really plugged in at Vandy, has his pulse, um, you know, has his finger on the pulse of that program. So really looking forward to that. But, yeah, a good show today. Appreciate everybody. I appreciate Preston joining us appreciate everybody tuning in as always and make sure you're uh, checking out gamecockcentral.com the entire week all right guys uh he's chris i'm wes we'll see you here tomorrow and we'll see you on gamecockcentral.com anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.